This is PhotoBizX, episode number 494, and today we are talking business, marketing, growing your profits, and generally just how to become better at business. Our special guest is a world-renowned and incredibly successful internet marketer and business operator himself. He specializes in helping other business operators grow their businesses without working a crazy amount of time to do so. I'm talking about James Shramko, and that interview is coming up in just a minute. Are you planning to have a successful wedding and portrait photography business? Join Andrew as he interviews successful photographers and business experts to fast-track your success. Welcome to the Photo Biz Exposed podcast with your host, Andrew Helmich. Hey, it's Andrew Helmich here, photographer, interviewer, and host of the Photo Biz X podcast, where I interview guests from around the world to help photographers like you grow your business faster and more successfully than if you were to go it alone. I am excited to bring this episode to you today because I first interviewed James Shramko back in episode 44 of the podcast a long, long time ago, and I've been following his journey since before even then. And in fact, he was one of the catalysts for me to get the podcast started so long ago. I know you're going to love what he shares in today's episode. And I think you will probably even find it a little bit challenging. So stick around for that one. It's coming up shortly. In regards to me and my week, I I had to buy some new tires for my car the other day. I needed two new front tires. Uh, Linda's dad is a, a motor mechanic. He saw my car in the garage when he came by and he said, well, okay, you need to get some tires fast. I went down to the tire store and the owner there made it so easy for me to spend more than I really wanted to. And it was a great reminder that we should be doing exactly the same in our photography businesses. In this case, I only needed two front tires. He told me that he had a deal where I could get four tires for the price of three. And I didn't really need the other two tires changed. They had about another 5,000 Ks left in them. What would you do in that case? Would you take all four? (laughs) Would you just take the two that you need? To me, it felt like a no-brainer just to get the four. I didn't really need them, but I was attracted to the saving and it just made made it easy. And we can be doing exactly the same in our business. In fact, Nick Peel shared a fantastic strategy on how he's doing that with his digital files back in episode 12 of the premium only interviews. So if you just search Nick Peel on the photobizx.com website, if you're a premium member, you'll have access to that interview. It's a super simple strategy that he shares and he has an incredible success rate with people taking his top package because he's priced it in a way that it's a no brainer to take all the digital files. And you can be doing exactly the same thing, whether you're selling wall art, albums, adding extra album sides, print collections, no matter what you sell, there are ways to price things to incentivize your clients to spend more and feel good about it at the same time. I mean, I walked away from the tire place thinking, great, I've got four new tires. I don't need to go back for a long time. I saved a little bit of money. I certainly don't feel bad about his approach, his strategy to upsell me into those extra couple of tires. In fact, I'd pretty much forgotten about it as soon as I walked out of there until now and sharing the the little tale with you and how it affects or how it could apply to our businesses as well. So yeah, the message, make it easy for your clients to spend more with you. And with that being said, if you didn't catch last week's episode, 
with Walid Azami, you absolutely have to get back and check that one out. The response to that one uh, has been mind-blowing, to be honest. Nicholas Teal wrote inside the members' Facebook group that this was one of my favorite interviews of the whole year. Darlene Woodward said that she loved his energy. It was infectious, beautiful work, and thanks for sharing his story. Ashley Ball said that Walid's enthusiasm and passion was so contagious and inspiring. And the comments like that go on and on. So make sure you get back and have a listen to Walid. He is a celebrity photographer to the stars. So if you first see that and think, oh, what he shares won't apply to me, you are 100% mistaken. (laughs) You will love his story, how he got into photography, which was mind-blowingly scary. And he shares some great business advice as well. You're listening to the number one photography business podcast with Andrew Helmich, photobizx.com. We are going to jump into this interview with James Shramko in just a second. If you are hearing this announcement, it does mean you are listening to the free version of the podcast. Now, what that means is you won't hear the full interview today with James. I am saving a large portion of the second half of premium members only. So if you are loving what James shares in the first half and you'd like to hear the full interview, it's super easy. You can do that for as little as $1 with a 30-day trial membership. And there are more details about how you can get that at photobizx.com forward slash try. And with that trial membership, not only do you get 30 days access to the full back catalog, all the premium membership benefits, including access to the Facebook group for premium members, which is an incredible group of photographers from around the world. You'll also see the premium resources page where you can access any of the courses at discounted rates. You'll get access to the member-only interviews like the one with Nick Peel that I referenced earlier. And of course, access to the full back catalog of the full-length interviews where I do save the best parts for premium members every single week. Photobizx.com forward slash try if you want to check that out. Welcome to another great eye for business. It's time for Andrew's special guest. Today's guest is a world-renowned and incredibly successful internet marketer and business operator. For the past 13 years, he's helped almost 4,000 entrepreneurs quickly double and triple their revenue while working less. Half of his private clients earn $3 million a year and 30% of the members in his community earn at least six figures. He's an expert on a range of subjects and specializes in business coaching, traffic generation, sales, productivity, and team building or scaling businesses. He's also author of the recent book, Work Less, Make More, where his aim is to help you grow your business without working ridiculously long hours, which I know us photographers are often guilty of. I'm talking about James Shramko, who was first interviewed on the show for episode 44, and I'm wrapped to have him back with me now. James, welcome. You say the nicest things, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> but it's almost nine years since we recorded that interview. Has there been many changes in your life? Plenty of changes. I believe you can change almost every aspect of your life in 10 years. So that's the relationships you're in, the, the partners you have. Of course, if you have children, they grow up substantially in a decade. You could be working with different customers. You can be living in a different house. You can be living in a different country. You could learn a new language. You could have picked up new hobbies. So, for example, in my case, I now identify as a surfer. When we did that podcast, I lived at the beach, but I was only just getting started about nine years ago. So, yes, I believe massive changes in the last nine years since you last had me on that episode 44. 
So when you, I mean, I know you identify as a surfer now because I follow you on social and I see you've been all around the world. I mean, surfing consumes your life. You've moved to another beach location. Is that why your focus seems to have become work less, make more? Without a doubt. You know, when I had a job, uh, I was a general manager. So it was a very busy job. I was putting in the hours. I was in a seven day a week industry, the automotive industry. It's a very old industry. It's over a hundred years old. So it's super competitive and you have to be sort of on all the time, probably much like a photographer or any sort of service provider. And when I came online, my first reaction was to just make sure that I had a very solid footing. So I like Tarzan swinging in the jungle. I let go of the old vine, grabbed the new vine, and I wanted to make sure that I'm hanging on tight. So I worked pretty hard for the probably the first four or five years after I quit my job to make sure that I never have to go back to a job. But when you're in an online business and it's potentially open 24-7, you have to put in your own limits. You have to build your own routine. Otherwise, you could burn out. So a lot of the people that I'm working with these days, I have to help them pull back a bit. So for me, yes, it was that gradual process of pulling back, partitioning off time where I can actually live and making my business not just focused on growth because a lot of people obsess about growing for the sake of growing and it's cool to talk about growth and growth hacking. But what's not talked about enough is having a business that you can actually sustain, that doesn't drain you. I believe your business should actually support your lifestyle and not rob from your lifestyle. So uh, yes, over the progressive years, I started to look for leverage and I started to build a system that helped me provide for my lifestyle, but not consume all of it. And now I'm, I'd say for the last eight years, seven or eight years, I've been working three days a week where I do phone calls or Zoom calls as it's become. It's interesting. We went from audio to video over that time. And I preserve the other four days as days where I don't have calls. So they're sort of free days in a way. And then I can potter about doing the bits and pieces I need to do to fulfill my fulfillment duties for my clients, which is answering forum posts or doing some messaging with them, but that's not on a call. So I do it when it suits me. Right. So if the waves are good in the morning, you can go surfing, you can come back and do the other things later. Well, that's the thing with waves. You know, the tide changes by about an hour each day. So you can't just rule a line through one time of the day for the rest of the year. It's a moving situation. And then of course, in summer, you've got the winds that come in and destroy the waves in the afternoon. So you have to go early. In winter, often you can pick it more around the tides and because there's a steady sort of southerly or not much breeze sometimes, then you've got all day to choose from. But absolutely, I build my schedule around when you know there are times to surf. So I make sure there's blocks either very first thing during the middle of the day or in the evening. Okay. So for you personally, before we get onto the listener and the photographer, when you look at, say, cutting back to working three days a week, let's call it three days a week that you're actually working, do you think to yourself, okay, I'm going to have to cut back what I'm spending. I'm going to have to curb my lifestyle a little bit to sustain you know, what I have right now and stop looking to, to get more things or bigger or more expensive things or maybe don't look at the, the overseas trip to the Maldives now, but let's stay close to home because you're working less. It's really tempting when you're looking to your schedule to try and pull back the amount of hours you put in to think, oh, I'm going to spend less, I'm going to cut back. But it's actually the exact wrong thing to do. You need to spend more. 
You need to spend more because if you're going to pull inventory, that time inventory off your schedule, you need to buy time. So you buy team time. I have six people working in my business full-time just for my business, and I buy all of their time for the whole year, every year. And interestingly, my team have been with me for 10 to 12 years now. So this has been working out on the long-term basis. And so I'm able to buy that time to pull back and to have that time back for me. So the big problem I see with small businesses is they're penny pinching and being scarce and they're worried about spending. And when I look at it, it's actually, there's a simple exercise to work this out. I'll go through it with you if that's okay. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're making $100,000 a year and you're working on pretty much doing everything in the business. So you're what we call a solopreneur or small operator. And this is very common for someone who's quit a job and going independent and all of your hours are blocked and you're working hard. So you have a high profit margin because you don't really have many expenses. You especially don't have one of the two biggest expenses most businesses have is team. Now, if you have a shop or a physical premises, then of course that's going to chew up a lot of your income But a lot of independent contractors don't need that infrastructure, especially after the pandemic. It's quite acceptable to work from home or to work wherever. So let's say that you're location independent to some extent. So your main costs are really just your equipment and some of the small costs. And then for some people, it's marketing. But in the beginning, you make $100,000 and you might have, let's say, a 90% profit margin. You've just got a few costs to run the business. So you're keeping $90,000 a year. Now we have a look at what does a million dollar business look like? And a million dollar business, if you're in an online space, it's quite possible if you're not doing e-commerce with stock, if you're doing something like information products, some kind of a service, it's very possible you could make a 50% profit margin. And that is allowing for all the costs that you're going to have with your team, with marketing, maybe you have affiliates, maybe you do search engine optimization, you might have some people doing things for you like design or websites or copy. Let's say you get to keep half. So now you make a million dollars a year and you keep $500,000 profit and you're not actually doing most of the things anymore. And so that means you don't have to actually work as much as when you're making $100,000 a year. So let's just break that down. If you go to a solo operator and say, listen, you're spending $10,000 a year, but what you really need to be doing is spending $500,000 a year. See, it completely flips it on its head. Most people are not spending enough to have the revenue to get to the size that they need to be where they're not doing everything in their business. I can understand that on an internet marketing level, uh, someone that's uh, you know operating digitally, but for me or the listener who has to go out there and actually do photos. Are you then suggesting, okay, get a team to do the photos. Don't just be the solo artist. There's a few ways to do this in a service business where you're the primary talent, which is very typical photographers, videographers, designers, etc. I've seen this many times. I've got clients who are videographers. I've got clients who are designers and I've got clients who are copywriters. So there's a few ways you can go. A common way is to build out your team to start capturing your intellectual property into a system and then start bringing on 
people and training them up so that they can take over parts of the business. So you might bring on an editor, you might bring on an assistant who packs all your gear and gets it ready or even ships it off to the uh, work site or takes it there and then unpacks it. So you just walk in and walk out just like a dentist. If you want to have your braces on, someone else is doing all the prep and then the actual dentist guy, he walks in or girl walks in, looks at you for three or four minutes and then goes to the room beside you and then the one beside them. Everything else is done by somebody else. So that's the team route. Another route is to change what you're selling. So I've got a videographer client, for example, and he's pretty hands-on doing stuff. But what he's built into his business is he's now teaching other filmmakers how to do what he does. And he can charge a fortune for that. I know for a fact, he went from a couple of hundred thousand dollars a year to a couple of hundred thousand dollars a month by teaching people how to do what he does, teaching them how to film with stories, teaching them what equipment they need, teaching them how to sell customers. So that is a valid way to do it. So change what you're selling. You can do other things too, like introduce subscriptions or go for a different market. If you're selling, um, I don't know much about the photography industry, but if you're selling small time portraits in a shopping center or something, you know, maybe you could change to just doing high end corporate photography for top 500 companies. I don't know where the pockets of money are, but I'm pretty sure that some of the people with cameras have found their spot where they're like world-class, highly in demand and can get paid a lot of money for what they do. So look for the leverage. Maybe you can have a subscription model where you have people who are updating their imagery on a constant basis on a subscription. I know this for one of my clients who does building photography they keep going back and updating all the floor plans and so forth, you know, or they've got a development company who employs them for every single site they go and develop to come and photograph it so they can then lease it out. So I'm sure within the photography genre, there's lots of little pockets of people who are killing it in any market. There's always people doing really well. And then there's all the commoditized people who just do what everyone else is doing. And that's really what I'd like to impress. There will be a way You've just got to look for it. So as you're talking, I'm thinking about past interviews with different guests. So, you know, Sarah Louise Jackson, she's a photographer who specializes in architecture and, and big buildings. She's killing it. Another guy in Canada, Hark Najjar, he's photographing sporting clubs, but the whole clubs, and he has it down pat. He's working a few days a week, make, has a million-dollar business. The interesting thing is you're saying exactly what I'm thinking but on the other hand, I'm thinking too, as soon as I start to think about going down that road and changing direction, like you talked about, we could do in 10 years, it all starts to sound too hard. I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. It sounds too hard. Like you must come across that with your coaching clients. I've just come across it with my own business. For example, I started my first community in 2009 and I built that up. And after four years, and that was initially a partnership. I started a new community to replace that one and everyone moved across to that and we started fresh. And then that, that community stayed valid up until the end of 2022. So I had a lot of sunk cost. I had a lot of content. I had a lot of customers. I had a lot of emotion wrapped around that. But at some point, you've got to innovate and find the next move. So as of the time of recording this, I've just basically started fresh everything with a whiteboard, clean sheet. I'm like, what is the best way I can serve my community? What is the best way I can deliver a result? How much will that need to be 
for that person to participate? How can I get them a 10 times result? And I've gone clean. And now I'm just basically moving my members across and the right people come across. I'll lose a couple of people along the way, but I have to innovate. One thing Peter Drucker said is business is about marketing and innovation. And it's a commitment I made myself when I stepped away from corporate. I knew that I had to innovate continuously or else I could fail. I could uh, fall off my vine and hit the jungle floor. So you've got to keep looking for the next vine to grab onto as you're swinging. So it's very common. And the reason people get stuck in comfort, and there's nothing wrong with comfort as long as you're having a good life. But if you've got an inkling that there's a gap between what you're doing now and what you'd like to be doing, or a gap between what you're earning and what you'd like to be earning, or a gap between how you feel and what you'd like to feel, then your comfort is actually costing you. The reason for it is way back in the early part of being on the planet, it, there was a big cost to venturing away from safety and comfort. If you wandered away from the campfire, you could be killed. If you said the wrong thing to someone in the tribe, they would oust you from the tribe. You'd be forced into the wilderness and then you would die. If you picked up a stick, but it was actually a snake, then it would bite you and kill you. So there's a lot of reasons as humans, we fear change. We're cautious around something that doesn't look familiar. And that's what's going to hold you back in your little pretend prison. You're building the walls around your own prison. The only person who can take those walls down is you when you accept that that is actually within your control. And then you have to have the desire to get out of it in the first place. And that might be an internal motivator or it could be an external motivator. Okay, so for you making that big change, that, that was from super fast business to jamesramco.com. It's even more than that. It started as super fast results. It became fast web formula. It then got renamed to super fast business. And now it's jamesramco.com. So I'm in you know, many iterations since 2009. But the really interesting thing is since the beginning of 2009 to where we're at today, this community, so that's, let's say 13 years, it has continuously generated half a million dollars a year, like the beat of a drum, like a diesel locomotive. There's been no slowing down. It hasn't gone too fast either, but that's just been very consistent. And I got it down to about a 30 minute a day commitment to me. So it's a wonderful business model. And the point is anyone can have a business model like that if they are an expert at something and they choose the right modality. So I know it's hard for someone like a photographer because you've got this talent in, in a modality that seems very hands-on. But there is plenty of people making a fortune from digital websites, teaching photography, selling photography equipment, or taking pictures of superstar celebrities, et cetera. So there will be ways that you can test this. So going back to you and your story, when you made the new iteration, the new transformation, do you do that? Like, do you just, okay, the doors are closing and you start afresh, or do you have like a, a bank, a bank of, of money that's going to sustain you as you rebuild? There'll be no drop of income as I rebuild. I'm a fan of grabbing a good grasp on the next vine before I swing. So I build the new community. I have a migration period where I put everyone in it while we sort out the billing transition and changing the offer and then communicating that. And then there'll be some subscribers, their subscription will have stopped and they can choose to rejoin. 
there will, of course, aside from this, be communicating to the outside market that there's this new thing and that it's amazing and that I can help them. And some people will just come straight into that and never know any of the ancient history from the old community. Uh, Because of the way that I've priced it and packaged it, and because of the technology and platform I'm able to use now, that gets me the results faster and in a more in-depth way for my students. And because they're at better price points and I've got a, a better sort of mentor to mentee ratio, then I actually believe this will increase in income substantially. Okay, so for the listener, the photographer that wants to do something similar to what you're talking about, don't just they don't need to build up a big bank to support them as they make the transition. You're saying make the transition while you're doing the thing they're doing right now. Exactly. I would be always in favour of adding something on top or to the side and let that be strong enough that it now competes for your attention and the old one becomes you know, not that interesting. You know, when I log into my old community now, because I'm still going looking for fantastic gold in there to bring it back to the new community, you know, it's like, it looks old and it looks a little bit pedestrian compared to the new way. I could see how it got me to where it needed to, but I knew for years that it was time that that something would have to replace it. But I took my time about finding the right solution and developing it. And I'm pretty much in concert with uh, my friend who's a developer was able to build out the perfect solution for me so that when I was ready to make the move, that it would be better than what I had before. And the best thing about it is I'm able to switch off about 20 different things to just move to one. I like this word sunset, but I'm able to sunset some old software subscriptions, sunset some old shopping carts, some old e-commerce bridges between bank accounts, et cetera. So there's all these things I can clean up In the online space in particular, it's easy to add and add and add, but we have to switch off and sunset things so that we can just focus on the thing we're doing. Now, what's the parable for someone in a photography studio? I would look at your studio or your practice, whatever you call these things, as if you were buying it. If you were to come in with fresh eyes to your own business, what would you do? Who would you you know, decide is no longer a good fit for your business? What tools are you using that are really out of date and need a freshening up? What would you do with the studio or workspace? What kind of equipment would you prefer to have? Would you sell off some of the old stuff and replace it with new stuff? I bet as we're saying this, there are things that are nagging in your mind that you actually already know need doing, but you've been putting it off. Today's message is about confront it and get the benefits. It's absolutely not easy to do this process. It's hard for me to turn off something I've built for many, many years to start something fresh, but it's also the most exciting, invigorating, and the best thing that I can do and will have huge rewards. How old are you, James? 51. Right. So you're restarting again at 51. And the reason I ask is because I don't want the listener to think you're some 30-year-old guy who's you know ready to go again, but you're 50 and going again. Or do you see it as continuing? Is it going again or starting over? Um, It's kind of a reboot in a way. Not that it was stale or not working, but I basically built my machine so long ago and it just worked. I built a machine that worked and it was amazing and it kept going. I guess it's kind of like where we're at with automotive now where the combustion engine petrol cars did a good job for a long time, but we're seeing a trend towards electricity, right? I'm not saying it's good or bad. <laughs> I'm just observing <laughs> as someone who's you know interested because I used to be in that industry. But there's a shift. 
And at some point there'll be a switch over. So I'm saying that we have the ability to change our path today, whatever that is, you can change relationships. You can change the clients you work with. You can change the field you're in. I mean, you could go and study a whole new field and within 10 years from now, be a world-class expert. I used to be at the top of my game when I was a general manager in a Mercedes-Benz dealership. And then I was at the top of my game as an online business person. And now as I'm going a bit broader on the side, I'm actually building a surfing thing and that's getting good. It's getting some really good results. And one day, maybe in 10 years from now, maybe we'll have to do an episode in 10 years from now. We'll see what I'm up to when I'm 61, because there's a good chance that I will have swung to a new vine, but I take all the skills, like we're building this asset between our ears that doesn't expire. Keep upgrading, keep changing the software version. If you look at an old iPhone, it looks really old and clunky, right? Some of the early versions, they don't do that much and they don't even accept the new software. We've got to keep innovating or you will be left behind, especially now more than ever as we're moving towards things like digital currencies, more control from governments, et cetera. We have to be flexible with our thinking because it's unwise to assume that what you're doing right now will still work in a few years from now. I believe that's true as well. So with the book and the message in the book, if a photographer is to take into account what you're sharing there, obviously the main message is work less, make more, but you can't just work less. Like you have to make changes to keep making the same or more money, don't you? You have to start outsourcing. You have to grow the business to work less. Well, that's not true. Okay. (laughs) It, It might sound like it is, but it's not. One of the things I talk about in the book is 644. And what that's saying is that only a few of your activities or a few of your clients actually bring you most of the outcomes that you have. So I'm going to give you an example. Let's say you're a photographer. Let's say you have 10 clients on an ongoing basis. There's a chance that two of those clients are not great clients, that they demand a lot. They ask you to to do things that are outside scope. They're not good payers. They're sucking up a lot of your resource or time, or you're thinking about them even on your time off and they're annoying you. And if you were to just stop serving those two clients, automatically your attention and your focus can be with the other eight clients, of which two of them are probably outstanding clients. They pay more. They're a dream to deal with. They make referrals. They make you excited to work with. So now you're spending you're taking the two clients you've gotten rid of and you're taking that time and energy and putting it with your two very best clients. So the the analogy here would be getting rid of the turkeys and spending more time with the eagles. So you're actually working less, but you will make more because you've gotten rid of that handbrake. There are some clients that probably cost you money. I know this is true when we had a website development business. It's true in an e-commerce store, there'll be some parts or line items that you stock that you lose money on. You buy them and then you can't get rid of them. So in every business, just by stopping doing things, you can actually lift the overall profit. Okay. So it's a matter of identifying those where the time is getting wasted and better applying it. But how's that different to the 80-20 rule? It's exactly the 80-20 rule, but it's extrapolated onto the 20. So the 80-20 rule is fractal. And I worked out if you take the 80-20 rule and you apply it to the 20%, You say, okay, of the top 20%, what's the 80-20 look like? 20% of 20% is four and 80% of 80% is 64. 
So I worked out that 4% of your inputs are getting you 64% of your outputs. Right. Okay. Because you're going more focused again on the 80-20. Exactly. It works on itself. It's fractal. And this is also verified by Richard Koch. I think it's somewhere in his book, but I actually found out, you know, I figured it out by myself. When I heard that it's fractal, I realized you can apply it to itself. And if you think about it, it's probably true. You've probably got a sweetheart client. You probably have a favorite t-shirt. You probably have one camera you use almost all the time that gets you all your sales and maybe, you know, a GoPro or something else that you occasionally use, but not very often. This really works out across most areas of life. I love it. I love it. It's very powerful, but it's also super simple. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. The clients that you have in your coaching program, where do they get most of their gains? Like when they come in and you talk about doubling and tripling, is it starting with the 64.4 or is it by outsourcing? Are you identifying something that they need to cut or grow? Like where do they start? When someone comes into my world, I take time to understand them because I can't make any recommendations or help them until I find out what's going on. So I always start with the situation. What is the current situation? I want to get inside their mind. I want to see what resources do they have available to them? What do they know already? What don't they know? What have we got to work with? What's really weighing them down? I need to have full empathy and complete clarity. So I have a diagnostic exercise that's pretty helpful to uncover all of that. Once we have that, then I can start helping them to understand what the next possible moves are, and then they can decide where they want to go. And they're a stakeholder in this, of course. They're the greatest beneficiary of their success. And it's the only way I measure my success is the success of the people I'm working with. So let's say they do a diagnostic. And then from that, I can work out some obvious things that they could do. Now, there's this tool called a Johari window, and there's four quadrants to it. Uh, One of the things that you know and that I know. So Andrew and I, currently, I know that we're having a conversation and you know that too, right? Yes. There's also things that you know that I don't know. I don't know who your previous conversation was with or your next conversation. And there's also things that I know that you don't know. I know what's going on. You know, I know what's to the side of this camera, but you can't see it. So I've got all this awareness. So that's where the greatest value comes for the people I'm working with. They can instantly tap into everything that I know that they don't know. Now, of course, the fourth quadrant, you might be wondering, what's that one? That's the one Andrew and I don't know. Like neither of us know. Are there aliens? We don't know. You know, is there a God? We don't know. But where the real value for me is all the things that I know that my client doesn't know. And I know quite a lot because I'm working with hundreds of people. So I see under the hood, I get to experience different business models. I see tactics played out. The best way to learn is not to go and make all the mistakes yourself. It's like find someone who's already made the mistakes or seen the mistakes and then can report on it or like give someone a shortcut. Here's the easy way to go forward. So someone brings along a problem or I become aware of a problem that they haven't even become aware of we point out the problem and then I give them some possible solutions. They go and act upon that. They get a result and they're happy. And this is one of the reasons that I'm able to offer a monthly subscription service. I don't have 12 month lock-in contracts like a lot of people in my industry because we can get results instantly. Okay. So let me give you a, a scenario or a hypothetical. Let's say I'm a photographer coming into your community business is good. Let's say I've got a $100,000 a year business. I'm taking home 90% of that. And 
I'm pretty confident in getting leads, but I want to make more money and I want to free up more time. Would your inclination be to get more clients, make more money, change my price list, get another photographer? Like, Where do you sort of sit initially? Well, the first thing to identify is like at least help that person be aware. They don't really have a business. They've got a job, right? So to get clear on that, that there's a huge amount of risk. If you can't shop for work, your business runs to a ground. So we need to build some infrastructure. <laughs> we need a business model. I'd definitely have a look at pricing and packaging. So I'd find out of all the products or services you offer, which are the very best ones and which ones suck. And let's not do the ones that suck anymore. And let's do more of the ones that work. And then I might change the marketing, the offer to only focus on the people we actually want and to get rid of leads or inquiries for things that we don't want. Maybe I'd also find a way that they could recycle the leads they don't want if they're still getting them anyway to someone who does want them and they get paid for it. So that automatically we get an affiliate income or referral commission from leads we're generating that we can't service ourselves. I would also have a look at the conversion process. Like what kind of marketing are they doing? And how many clients does that result in? And I would try and tune that up a little bit so that you don't need any more leads. You just need to do a better job with the ones that you have. And a few little power wins would be to go back to everyone they've ever worked with and make them an offer. Like They could make money this week just doing that one thing. Come up with a little offer for people who they've come into contact with all the time in the past and have a win back or a new campaign for those people because they can probably reach them the client probably doesn't hate them and maybe the timing's better for them and maybe they need to update their whatever they did last time. So, okay, so that sounds like it's imperative to have an email list so we can go back to those clients. It doesn't have to be. As long as you've got subscribers in one form or fashion, maybe you have a YouTube channel, maybe you've got Instagram, maybe you've got Twitter, maybe you've got LinkedIn. You can reach people in multiple platforms these days. And yes, an email list is amazing to have. But there's nothing stopping you picking up the good old telephone if you've got a telephone number. Or, this is pretty old school, but it's new school really, send direct response. You've got people's addresses. If you've got people's addresses and their names, you could send out a direct response offer in the post. It's got a very, very high open rate. It's extremely efficient considering what you could sell off the back of that. And virtually nobody does it. So you get a lot of cut through. Okay, so when you're talking about a, do you say direct offer? Is that what you called it? Yeah, you could send something in the post. You could send a postcard. You could send a letter. Right. You could send a coupon. You could send a couple of vouchers for 10% off or $100 off the next session in the post. You know, they open it up and these nice printed little vouchers fall out onto their lap or on the desk and they're like, they can call up and redeem it with a deadline, you know, used before the end of 2022, et cetera. I love how you, I mean, you're saying that's old school and you, you said that before you suggested it, because one of the things I was going to ask you, and I, and I do want to come back to marketing is, you know, you seem to zag when everyone else is zigging. I, I think that's a fair term. Like you've renamed your business with your name, which sort of goes against all the rules. Everyone else is saying you should never use your name in a business. Why did you choose to do that? Premium members of Photobiz Exposed hear more of the best photography business strategies from every guest. James, I've got one more question for you, but just before we get to that, where's the best place for the listener to learn more from you? jamesramco.com. 
So start there. Everything goes from there. Or every other social, every James Franco social. Okay, all right. I'll add links to all those in the show notes. Let me just finish with asking you uh, a curly question. You know, right at the start, you talked about outsourcing or building a team. And you said basically that you buy the time of your team. Like they hear you talk about that when they edit this podcast. Like, doesn't that, doesn't that worry you? Yeah, I've thought about it a lot. And, you know, I talk to them about it in our team meetings. <laughs> you know, like obviously they consume all this, but I also have tried really hard to make sure that they have a great life. So there are people out there, and I say this, it's not bad to be an employee. So when I say that, I'm saying, I'm speaking to the entrepreneurs here. I had Gina Wickman on my call on one of the podcast episodes and he said, you know, people should work out what they're meant to be. Like not everyone should be an entrepreneur. Only a small percentage of the population is suited to being an entrepreneur. You know, most of the people in my team, they're smart, they think well, but I don't think they want to do a podcast like me or coach the clients like me. So they're doing a different thing. They're supporting me and they're fantastic at that and they're each talented in their own right. They get paid really well and they've got amazing conditions. For example, we don't count annual leave or sick leave. We don't have hours of the day or days of the week that we require. Um, I don't know the hourly rate. We just pay on a constant basis. They've been with me between 10 to 12 years, so I know it's working well. If anyone in my team wants to go off and be an entrepreneur or, or do something else, I would support them and wish them well. And then we would divide up the tasks and perhaps recruit someone else. I mean, I truly hope that doesn't happen from my own perspective, but I also understand if that would happen from their perspective. And, uh, you know, they know that I appreciate them. I share that gratitude all the time. And also I feel like they're probably in the zone for what they do and what they like. And I'm constantly checking in with them that that's okay. So it's not a bad thing to be an employee. It's just a fact. If you want to buy someone's time, you can. But the way that I buy my team's time is very open-ended. It's like, this is what I'll pay. This is the result that I want. Let's work around that. Take your partner to lunch. Pick your kids up from school. If you're sick for a month because of a difficult pregnancy, well, that's okay. We'll work through it. Like we have a really good relationship and I see my team. I usually see them several times a year and I'm about to see them again now. So, you know, stay close to your team. The team are what lift you up. And they're probably very comfortable in that role and I'm comfortable in my role. Now, I can't do most of the things they do at a good level. They're really good at the stuff they do. And it works well for us. It's good harmony. Like not everyone wants to be the conductor of the orchestra. They're probably just happy playing the instruments. What a great way to finish, James. It's been a real pleasure again. I'm looking forward to doing this in 10 years' time to hear about the new surf company yeah. and where you are now. Massive thanks for coming on and sharing everything you have, James. So it's been a pleasure. My pleasure. Hope you enjoyed that interview with James as much as I did. James, if you are listening, again, thank you for coming on, for sharing everything you did. Congratulations on your success, on your move to Noosa and living the life or creating the life that you want to be living uh, you really are an inspiration to me and I'm sure the listener as well. For you, the listener, I do hope you got a ton from what James had to share. If you would like to learn more from James, I've got links to anything and everything that he mentioned in the show notes. This week, you'll find them at photobizx.com forward slash 494. And was I right or am I right in assuming that there were a ton of takeaways in this one? Was there something that James shared that you thought, yes, okay, that makes sense. I can apply that to my business because if there was, I'd love to hear about it. 
let me know either in the comments area of the show notes, shoot me an email, or if you are a premium member, let's talk about it inside the members Facebook group. And I plan to get James added to the group as well. I'm not sure how engaged he is on social media, but I'll do my best to get him there in the group and answering any follow-up questions that you might have for him. It's shout-out time. I have two big shout-outs for today's episode. The first one was in Apple Podcasts by Charleston, South Carolina, newborn photographer Brooke Embry in the USA. And she said in her review, I'm a maternity and newborn photographer and I listen to the podcast almost every single day while I edit. Uh, I don't know how you can listen while you edit, Brooke. (laughs) I need silence while I'm doing editing. I can't concentrate on anything else. Anyway, Brooke goes on to say, this podcast is by far the best one I have come across. I first started with the $1 trial about six to eight months ago and quickly purchased the membership. The knowledge that I've taken in from the many, many types of photographer interviews is priceless from business strategies to social media strategies and everything in between. This podcast has it all, no matter what genre you photograph. That is so good, Brooke, and thank you so much for taking the time to leave that review. And I do have to say, your work is incredible. I love your website. I checked out your TikTok reels as well. I think that's what they're called. Uh, Amazing, beautiful videos, so engaging. You are so much fun. I can see why your clients are falling in love with you. So massive thanks, Brooke, for taking the time to do that for me. And the second big shout out for today's episode goes to Irina Mednick from the US. She is a New York-based boudoir photographer, again, with a fantastic website and beautiful work. And she said in her Google review, to say I'm obsessed with a Photo Biz Exposed podcast would be an understatement. I found it about a year ago, and I've been tuning in religiously every Monday to hear the newest episode. Every guest that Andrew brings on is so knowledgeable and always has nuggets of wisdom that I'm happy to take away. There's no holding back and Andrew knows all the questions to ask. Anyone even remotely interested in photography will absolutely fall in love with the podcast and it feels like they are a personal friend of Andrew's. Thanks again, Irina, for taking the time to leave that lovely review and for your beautiful words and I truly, hand on heart, mean that about your work and your website. Absolutely gorgeous. Your gallery is incredible. Your lighting skills, your posing, uh, really fantastic. It's It blows me away to know there are photographers like you and Brooke listening, tuning in, getting ideas from the podcast, uh, photographers of your talent. So again, massive thanks to both you ladies for taking the time to leave those reviews. Alrighty, just about time to wrap up this episode of the podcast, which is perfect timing because a thunderstorm is rolling in right now. Before we do close out the show, I did want to let you know that if you are a premium member to keep an eye out inside the members Facebook group and on your email because I want to feature you in the special upcoming episode, episode 500 of the podcast. I want to celebrate you in that episode. So look out for that email or check out the note inside the members Facebook group. I'm looking for an audio recording from you if you're a premium member. And if you don't feel comfortable recording some audio, you can send me an email with some copy and I'll read that on your behalf. But look out for those instructions. I really want to make this episode 500 a big one and I want to feature you in that episode. So again, look out for that email. Check out the post inside the members group. It should be a fun interview with premium members. So again, look out for those and get your audio recordings and emails to me if you are a premium member. 
Alrighty, that is going to wrap up this episode of the podcast. I hope you have a fantastic week ahead. I will be back next week with another episode. Until then, stay safe, healthy, and well, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now. If you have enjoyed this episode, head to photobizx.com. Join the conversation, leave a comment, and share your thoughts on the interview with Andrew and today's special guest. 